Welcome to church again. Uh, for those who are new here, my name is Wilson. Uh, and it's a privilege for me to be able to serve you today through the preaching of God's Word. Uh, yeah, so just give me a second. I'm going to get set up here. All right, thank you, Clara. Thank you. How are you all feeling today? Good. I have been unwell for the past few days. Uh, the haze in Penang is getting worse. So I've been having flu um, and sore throat. So if you hear that my voice is a bit husky, please do forgive me. This is not my normal voice. Okay, so let's look into the word today. Uh, but before that, um, it's the month of August. And last weekend, we had Pastor Andrew who was here. Uh, that was a really good weekend. If you're here for the church-wide Bible study, uh, I think it's one of our first few times doing it. And it was such a good time of learning how to actually read the Bible. So it's not surprised to you that actually this month in August, uh, the church is actually focusing on the topic on the Word of God. Right? Everyone said, Word of God. Word of God. And we started this entire year since uh, January, starting with purpose. Then we talk about relationship, we talk about passion, compassion, Holy Spirit, giving. And this month, we're in the month of the Word of God. Now, you see, why is the Word of God so important? And this is what we're going to discover throughout this entire month. But I want you to start with this thought. Remember all that we've learned over the past seven months or eight months? We probably forgot most of the sermons already, right? All the messages that we've heard over here, whether it's a super good message or a normal message, we probably forgot what are the main points already. But if the Word of God is the one that anchors our foundation and our faith, all those messages is just nothing, you know? And we need the Word of God in our life because if without the Word of God, we are just following a set of good program or good ideas that the church has set for us, you know? So the Word of God is very important for us to understand and this month we'll be understanding what is the purpose of the Word of God, why is it important, uh, and how does the Word of God affect us? So before we start, I want to ask you these two questions first for us to consider before we start today. Firstly is this, do we read the Word of God with a sense of awe and reverence? Or are the words merely just plain words? Think about it. Now when you read the Word of God, is it still with a sense of awe and reverence or are they just words to us? Second question is this, do we fully trust the Word of God that everything recorded in the Bible it's true. Even if some of them might not make sense naturally. For example, Moses parting the Red Sea. I wonder how many of you still doubt that. I used to doubt that a lot. Jesus calling Lazarus out from the grave. Or some teachings that really contradict with our personal lives and convictions. For example, loving others. You know, love our neighbours, ourselves, love our enemies. Or if it's about sharing possession as a church. Now, why am I asking you that two questions? Because I realise those are questions that I ask myself. I've been a believer for about 12 years now and I realized that, yeah, it's good. I've listened to thousands of sermons, um, listened to hundreds of podcasts, sang don't know how many billion times of worship songs, know all the songs in my head. But could it be that I right now approach God's word with no longer awe and reverence? And we sang the song just now, This is our God. Freely He gave His life for us. How does the song hit us? Today, as I was standing there, I was wondering, is the song really hitting the core of my heart anymore? Or are these just words to me that I sing when I gather around people? A few weeks ago, I met a pastor and he shared about his church member. He's been running a church for a very long time, uh, Dr. Carson. And he said one day his members, one of his members came to him. He's been a believer for many years now. And he came to him and said, Pastor, I've been reading about the account of Jesus going to the cross, the Passion Week. 
And after reading it for so many times, I realized that right now when I read it, it no longer hit my heart anymore. I don't feel an agony. I don't feel sad. When I first read it, it hit me like, wow, there is a person like Jesus who'd actually go to the cross for me. But right now when I read it, it no longer hits me anymore. And so he asked Dr. Carson, is something wrong with me? And I think about myself and many of us here. Could it be that we have also come to a place where we read God's word and, yeah, it no longer hits us anymore. And this is where familiarity can breed contempt because we are so familiar with God's word and we lose out on what it really means anymore. So if we are not careful to fully consider God's word, then God's holy word will just merely be plain words for us. And if you are someone who goes online a lot, you know, you use social media or you visit websites to read articles, you know, whenever you go to a website, there's always a pop-up that says, will you accept this cookie? You know, or when you are signing up for a new social media account, you will see something that terms and conditions and privacy policy. Okay, honestly speaking, how many of us actually take time to open those and read it? Any show of hands here? Yeah, there are a few. Yeah, Isaac, definitely, I know he'll read it. Few of us will actually read it, but for many of us, majority of us, we don't even care what it means. Because when you open the terms and conditions, there's probably like 32 pages of terms and conditions. You need to read the law and everything, privacy policy. You know, so you, you, you just said, okay, you know, because why? Because it gives you something. It gives you a benefit or reward at the end of it. I don't have to understand fully what it means. As long as I press, okay, yes, now I can have a social media account. Now I can have a website. And I think our Christian life can sometimes be the same as well. If we are not careful to consider the Bible, the Word of God. Today, we have easy access to the Word of God, right? You have it, some of you hold it um, physically, some of you hold it digitally right now. You can Google it, um, and it's so easy to get the Word of God today. But if we don't fully understand the Word of God, it is just like us saying yes to the terms and conditions, saying yes to accepting the cookie, but actually not understanding what it really means. Which is why sometimes you get a lot of advertisement on your Instagram or Facebook, it's because you said yes to those. Right? So you can't blame internet for that because you actually said yes. Sometimes you receive messages, SMS, WhatsApp message, people sending you promotion. You actually said yes to that. But sometimes we don't even think about it. So if we're not careful, we end up just being a part of a brand called Christianity and an organization called the Church of God. And how it's supposed to affect us, we don't even think about it. We're going to look into Mark chapter 4 today. So if you have a Bible with you, can you open to Mark chapter 4? I won't be showing it up here today yet because since we're in the topic of the Word of God, I think it's important for us to actually open the Word of God and see it for ourselves. Right? So Mark 4, before we start, let me just explain the context of it. Uh, Mark 4 is about the parable of the sower by Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus speaking to the crowd and then secondly to the 12 and more disciples. Um, so there are two things we're going to look into here. Firstly, because Jesus is going to talk about a different type of ground. Okay, so today we're going to focus on what makes a good soil. All right, we're going to look into what makes a good soil. Second part is why should we be a good soil? Okay, let's read Mark chapter 4. Right, starting from verse 1, the parable of the sower. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, 
so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path. Where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, even as we read your word, I pray that you would make it come alive to us. Lord, we pray you eliminate your truths even through the preaching of your word today. Lord God, that we would be humble to learn from you because your word says in Isaiah 66, you look for those who are humble and contrite in spirit and those who tremble at your word. So Lord, even as you read your word, Lord, we come with a sense of awe and reverence for your word, O Lord God, because we know that your word gives life and your word is truly all that we need. So let it be the foundation of our heart today. Even as we read, Lord, I pray that you open our heart to receive from you and to hear from you a lot. We honour you and we bless you in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The parable of the sober. We've probably read about this many, many times. Probably it's been preached before. But there's a few things that I realised that's something very new for me. So firstly, about this background, okay, to explain verse 1 and verse 20 in very simple form, is about the teaching of the Word of God and there are various responses that people have to it. See, we see different types, okay? The, soy, uh, the seed fall on four different types of ground. But we'll only be focusing on three different types of ground today, okay? So let's look into the next one. Yeah, so this is the title of my sermon today, The Nature of a Good Soil. If you are taking notes, it's called The Nature of a Good Soil from Mark 4, 1 to 20. All right, let's start by looking at verse 5 first. Verse 5 speaks about the rocky ground. Okay? It says here, Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. Think about this. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. 
what is a rocky ground? If you are into farming or planting here, when you want to plant a plant, all right, you make sure that there's a lot of soil in it. You don't just plant it like that. And rocky ground is basically beds of solid rock, usually limestones. So imagine the soil is probably like one inch, okay, and the rest of it is just rock. When you look from it at the outside, it looks nice. Oh yeah, it looks like a very good soil. I can plant my plant there. But when you plant something there, they actually can't reach the end of it. Okay? Because when you reach the end of it, it is just rock. So it's too shallow for the plant to reach, to develop a good root system. That's why there's, it had no root, it will wither away. What about the second type of soil? Let's look at the second one. The next slide. Verse 7, it speaks about thorns. It says here, Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Again, if you are into planting or farming, you probably wouldn't like thorns when there's your plant. Because thorns are tough and thistle-bearing weeds, okay, it will take up the available space, light and water that your good plants need. It will take up space. And which is why it says it choked it. The thorn will choke the seed, and that's why it can't grow and yielded no grain. Then we look at the next one, the last one, which is good soil. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-hundred-fold. Look at this word, good soil and produce grain, increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold and 100-fold. How many of you are into farming or planting here, gardening? Very few people. Okay, there's Arnold there. Have you ever seen your plant reaching 30-fold, 60-fold and 100-fold? Very rare. You know, when we were in, in Malaysia in high school, uh, in a science class, we have to plant something called tauge, bean sprout, right? And you just put a few sprouts and then it will grow to a lot, but it's not even 30-fold, 60-fold and 100-fold. In fact, for a gardener, a farmer, uh, a good ratio is 8 to 1, okay? 8 to 1. If you have 10 to 1, that is exceptional, okay? But the standard that Jesus is putting here, it is unbelievable harvest because it's 30-fold, 60-fold and 100-fold. Verse 9 and verse 10 onwards, Jesus began to explain the purpose of the parables. So verse 10, it says here, When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. You see, why did Jesus say this? In the beginning, he explained it to the crowd. It was a parable that he gave generally to the crowd. And now, his disciples, those who are closest to him, the twelve and many more, are with him and ask, so what's the purpose of the parables? Jesus began to explain this. And in fact, the second part in verse 12, that is actually from Isaiah. And that is Isaiah's message for unbelieving Israel. That's why it says, they may see but not perceive, they may hear but not understand, unless they repent and be forgiven. So Jesus is telling them, this message is for you, believers. So let's look at the next verse right now, which is verse 14. The sower sows the word. And this is where he began to present himself as the sower. The sower is Jesus. And what is the word? The word is the word of God. Luke 8 says it's the word of God. Different parts of the gospel have the same parable. Matthew 13 calls it the word of the kingdom. And this is the salvation gospel. This is the word that Jesus is talking about. Okay? So verse 16 onwards, he explained everything in detail right now. So in the next slide, you see rocky ground. 
16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. This is his explanation. What is a rocky ground? Those who hear the word, receive it with joy. This sounds to me like someone who is super enthusiastic about the word of God. Emotional. Receive it with joy. But what happened? Because there's no root, they fall. They fall away. And no root means what? The person's heart is really hard. It's so hard that the word of God, the seed cannot take root in his heart. That's why there's no change. And because there's no change, it's only a surface. You see it on the surface, they look good. You know, because the rocky ground looked good on top, but deep inside, it's full of rocks. It's hard. And sometimes as Christians, we can be like that. We look good on the outside, but inside of us, it's rock. The Word of God is never really taking effect into our life. So what happens is when tribulation or persecution comes, on account of the Word, immediately they fall away. You see, this persecution and tribulation is not the normal day-to-day life challenges that you face. Okay, it's not your exam. You know, it's not your relationship problem. But it says here, on account of the word. It means when you begin to live with the account of the word of God, there will be tribulation and persecution. Because the word of God is countercultural. The word of God, if it shapes your life, when you go out there, people wonder, hey, why are you not bribing someone? You know, why are you so gentle? Why are you so kind? Why are you so generous? Because the word of God is, we are taking the word of God as an account in our life. That's why when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And what does fall away mean? They fall away. They stumble. You know, when their faith is put to the test, they would stumble. What about the second type of ground? Let's look at it. Thorns. Verse 18 to 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. See, they hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. These people actually hear the word, but there are cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches. What are those things? Those are distraction of the ages. It's a preoccupation with what is temporal in our, right, in our life right now. And that will blind us from really considering the gospel. That's why it says that it choked them and it proves unfruitful. What about deceitfulness of riches? These are material things. Okay? possessions, wealth, they are all good for us, but if we are not careful, it can choke us and really take us away from God. What about the last one? Let's look at this. And this is the one that we'll be focusing on. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Look at those three words. Hear, accept, and bear fruit. These are people who are good soil to receive the word. Here, accept and bear fruit. It is three present participle. It means it's a continuing action. You don't just hear and then you stop there. After you accept what happens, you're supposed to bear fruit. You see, the believers, they can hear the word of God. All of us hear. Because why God has given us the Holy Spirit, you know, and He's given us access to actually hear the word and understand the word. God allows us to hear it. But the second thing we must do is to accept it. It means to obey it. Because the rocky and the thorny, all right, they hear the word, but they didn't accept it. That is why they prove unfruitful and they fall away. But when we accept it, we actually obey the word of God. The result is then we'll bear fruit. So if we hear, accept, we'll bear fruit. 
So the next slide is this. What type of ground are we? Think about this today. Are we a rocky ground? Rocky ground to me is a representation of superficial believers. They are very enthusiastic, emotional, because they receive it with joy, but the gospel never takes root in their heart. They're never transformed. These kind of people is easy to see because when the going gets tough and their faith is tested, they will fall away. And I pray all of us will not be a rocky ground today, that we'll learn how to be a good soil. What about a thorny ground? Thorny ground is a representation of a neither here or there believer. It is what the Bible calls a lukewarm Christian. They are preoccupied, they are choked with things of the world, such as material wealth, success, and the devil with sin. They call themselves Christians, but they are in the world and of the world. Thorny ground. What about the third one? Good soul. And this is what I pray all of us would be today. Good soul is the representation of a true believer. It means they hear the word of God, they accept it, and they bear fruit. There is evident growth when we are Christians. And these are mature Christians who know and trust the gospel with their entire life. And their life would exemplify the mark of true Christians because of their fruits. So what is the nature of a good soul? We're going to be learning three things about this today. Let's look at the first one. What makes a good soul? Again, Mark 4.20 says, those that were sown are those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. The next one, let's, the first one that we can learn is this. Hear the word. Hear the word. What is hearing the word? Hearing the word is equipping ourselves with the living word of God. Romans 10.17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Think about this for a moment. How are we equipping ourselves with the living word of God? How are we doing that? Constantly hearing the word. More than just hearing a sermon on a Sunday or a podcast when you're driving a car or listening to your favorite band, then spiritual discipline to constantly hear the word. We need to constantly hear the word. You see, we can't just live off the revelation or the quotes of our favorite speakers. You know, on Instagram, it's packed now. Sometimes it can be like a marketing for a speaker or a church, it's full of quotes, it's, yes, amen, it's good. And all those are good, but we cannot just live off base on the revelation of other people and the quotes from your favorite speakers. And you can't also live off from your special experiences that you get in camp or conference. You know, you can't like, hey, the time in devote conference, God really touched me. Yeah, he touched you then, but he must still touch you now. You cannot be living off from your past experience. So if we only live off from the quote of people, the experiences that we receive, and we don't have a personal encounter with God through the Word, then we would actually miss out a lot. I was reading an article last week, and the article said this, which I thought was very good. It says, we cannot just be trained to be Bible quoters and not Bible readers. We can quote the Bible very easily. Sometimes I find myself doing that, and it's super dangerous. We all know how to quote the Bible. John 3.16, Ephesians 3.20, Philippians 1, 16, whatever it is you have in your mind, your favorite Bible verses, we can quote it. But do we actually read the Word and understand the Word of God? Last week, we learned from Pastor Andrew from Psalm 119 and the life of David. And Psalm 119 is the longest verse, it has mo the most verses in the Bible. And it's crazy because David wrote this and you would see that David has a love for the law and the word of God so much in Psalm 119. 
David is a good example because he doesn't just believe the word, he actually wants to study the word. He learns the word, he seeks the word, and he memorizes the word, and he regularly meditates on the word of God. I think learning from the example of David, we can see one thing about David, that David had a very high view of the word of God. This word of God is not just merely words to him. Even back then, he don't have a Bible. He just had the Torah, maybe, the law. But that law, that Torah, meant so much to him that he would actually study it so well, memorize it, seek it, and meditate on it. And I think if we learn something from David, it's this. A high view of the Word of God will give us a high view of God. If we have a high view of the Bible, we have a high view of God. So if God's Word is really true, then I think as believers, we have to commit ourselves to be diligent students of the Word. We need to embrace the Word of God, not only with our heart. Yeah, this, is, this feels good. This speaks to my situation, but also with our mind. We need to receive it from both sides of it. Matthew 4, let's look at the next. This is the account of Jesus being tempted. Starting from verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Look at the ones that are highlighted in yellow. See, Jesus was fasting. The devil came. And Jesus, the way he responded to the devil showed us the importance of him actually knowing the word of God. Because he said, it is written. In fact, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God is from Deuteronomy chapter 8. There is a account of God himself actually making sure that Israelites will go hungry, you know, so that he can provide them with manna. And Jesus showed that he's equipped with the teachings of the scripture, which is why he can answer, it is written. But what's more bizarre is this. Look at verse 6. This is the devil speaking. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. It's bizarre that the devil actually knows the Bible so well. And the devil was actually quoting from Psalm 91. This, he will command his angels concerning you, but the devil twisted the entire meaning of it. You see, the devil knows the word of God very well. And how did Jesus respond? Again, it is written. Again, Jesus went back to the scripture from Deuteronomy and said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, our greatest battle is not on the external, but it's mainly an internal battle. Whatever that's happening around you right now, your challenges, your sickness, your relationship issues, your financial issues, our greatest battle is not all of that, but it's really an internal battle. And the battle is in our hearts. It's one that we can only win with the truth of God's word. Can we have the next slide, please? Eric, thanks. So our, our battle is not an external, but it's an internal one. And think about this. If you want to fight the battles around you, how do you fight it? If you want to equip yourself, you have to equip yourself with the Word of God so that you can fight those battles. So it's an internal battle. So when you're going through a tough situation, 
you know, you don't go around and try to fight it. You fight it with the Word of God. You fight it by learning the Word, seeking the Word, meditating on the Word. And then your battle is won inside whatever that's external. You don't even think that it actually means much anymore. Because why we no longer are afraid of persecution, of trials, or sufferings. People have a deep understanding of the Word of God. They have a high view of Scripture. It gives them a high view of God. And when they have a high view of Scripture, whatever they see around them, it just fades away. They know that it is the Scripture, the Word of God, that really is the foundation of their life. So that is hearing the Word. Now let's look at the second one. Mark 4.20 says, accepting the Word. What is accepting the Word? I believe it's this. It's embodying the truth of the Word of God. You see, hearing the Word of God is important. Like all of you are seated here, you're hearing the Word of God right now. It is good. But it's more essential to live out the truth. As I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. Am I also living out the truth of what I'm actually preaching? You see, we have to learn how to walk the talk. That is the greatest challenge for us as a believer. We can come to church, sing a few songs, listen to a good sermon, and once we walk out from here, are we still living the life of a Christian? So think about this. Both the rocky and thorny ground, they hear the word, but they don't accept it. They do not embody the word, which is why they became unfruitful. They fall away. How do you, how do we embody the truth of the word of God? Because the gospel really requires embodied truth. A religion, a doctrine, no matter how true, does not go far enough. Someone wrote this recently. A truth, a doctrine, or religion needs no space for itself. They are disembodied entities. They are heard, learned, and apprehended, and that is all. But the incarnate Son of God needs not only hears, ears or hearts, but living people who will follow Him. This is why He called His disciples into a literal, bodily following, and thus made His fellowship with them a visible reality. You see, being a Christian, if we don't embody the truth, then we are not really Christians at all. It is the same for any other religion, any other truth, any other doctrine, whatever you believe in, if you don't embody the truth, you're not actually living the life supposed to be. My wife is a dentist, you know, and as a dentist, what is she supposed to do? To help people to recover their confidence, their smile, okay? But if she does not embody the truth, then she would just be a normal dentist, not what a dentist is supposed to be. Think about this, whatever you're working right now, whatever you study in college, you know, if you don't embody the truth and practice it and live it out, then what are you really living for? So I think one thing we need to learn is this, that we need to grow from inspiration to obedience. Coming to church is good, being inspired is good, but we need to learn how to grow from inspiration to obedience. And that obedience looks like a pursuit of godliness and holiness. Last week, Pastor Andrew talked about the law of God about the importance of internalizing the Word of God and living it out. And you think about it, the word law is not a popular concept, right? I think he talked about the difference between law and grace. We always say, oh, Old Testament is the law. New Testament is grace. So we are New Testament believers. We are living under grace. The law is no longer important anymore. So many see this, the law of God, as contrary to grace. But as we learned from last week from Pastor Andrew, it is not. In Psalm 119 again, David expressed his desire to actually obey God's law. He wants to follow it. He wants to fulfill it. He wants to keep it. In fact, the Bible says David delighted 
in obeying God's law. You see, when David obeys God's law, he's not obeying it out of a place to earn salvation. He's obeying out of his love for God. Think about it for yourself. We are not obeying God's words because we need salvation. We are already safe, right? All of us who are seated here, we can confidently say that we are saved by Him. We have received salvation. But right now, our obedience to His word is because of our love for Him. And we are obeying because of our heart of faith, because we believe in His word. And that's why we are obeying out of faith. Jesus Himself was also was very much about obeying the law. Jesus delighted in keeping the Father's law. In fact, He did it so much that He kept the law perfectly for us. He obeyed on our behalf. He went to the cross. He was battling with the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, but in the end, He said, not my will, but your will be done. He delighted in obeying the Father's law. Whatever the Father wants Him to do, He will follow what the Father wants Him to do. So He obeyed on our behalf, and because of that, His righteousness is upon us today. Simply because of what? His obedience. Him going to the cross, Him dying for our sins, Him resurrecting again. It's because of His obedience, we are all righteous sons and daughters of God. There's a famous Christian scholar, his name is C.S. Lewis. All of us probably know him. And C.S. Lewis, as you know, is a very good, he has a lot of good thoughts about Christianity. And one day, he was thinking about this. How could any believer delight in the law of God? Think about this. How can we actually find delight in obeying the law of God? So as he was writing his book, he said this, their delight in the law is a delight in having touch firmness. You know firmness? Okay, for example, if you are into jogging here, you know, um, I, me and my wife try to do jogging once in a while um, at Botanical Garden. And in Botanical Garden, right, you know, you're going one round, it's all hard ground. But along the way, there's actually a shortcut. There's a bridge. But you have to actually cross the bridge, you have to run through some grass, it's uneven, it's not stable. All right? And this is what Sales Lewis thinks it's like. When we run, okay, we love to run on firmness, hard ground. But if we take a shortcut and we start running on grass, imagine it's wet, it's muddy, you know, it's nice, it's a shortcut, but then your shoes become dirty. You know, sometimes you can fall off because it's not stable. And then when you reach the hard ground again, there's a re the feeling of delight. Oh, finally, I'm here again. It's firmness. That is like the law of God. The law of God is firm because firmness is good for our life. You see, God cares enough to show us His ways and direct our path. He cares enough to actually show us how to live our life in according to His laws and His standards. And how awful would it be for us if we live in this world for 80, 90 years, okay, we have a slight idea that there is a God out there that will get to heaven one day, but we do not actually know what He desires from us. You see, many of us here are always looking, what is God's calling in my life? What is God's will in my life? You know, we look for people to speak to us. We ask for prayer. I think all those are important, but you can find it in here. The will of God in your life is to live according to His standards. To be a believer, to actually hear, accept, and bear fruit. That is as simple as it is. That is the will of God for you. So God gives us law because He loves us. I think that the gospel really requires us to not only believe in Jesus through the inspired word of God or the inspired sermon that we hear, but we also live inspired life. You know, because we want to bear witness to Jesus by obeying and embodying the word of God. When we embody the truth out there, people can see that we are truly 
Christians because we have fruit in our life. Right? That brings me to the last part, which is bearing fruit. What is bearing fruit? Bearing fruit is edifying one another to grow in godliness. Edifying one another to grow in godliness. You see, the fruits that we bear, the 30-fold, the 64-fold, and the 100-fold, it is not for us. It is for the sake of other people. After hearing, equipping yourself, accepting, embodying the truth of the Word of God, the final outcome is to bear fruit. And our fruit is really to edify other people so that they can also grow in godliness. They can grow to become good soil themselves. So think about this. How are we helping others to grow in their godliness? Are we helping other people to grow in their godliness? Now, I want you to look into Hebrews 10. We have it here. If you have your Bible, you can look in there as well. Verse 24 to 25. It says here, And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. We are to provoke love and good works. We are to encourage each other. Okay, if you have a Bible with you now, can you just raise it up in the air for me? Whether it's digital or a physical Bible, raise it up in the air. If you don't have, it's okay. You can share with your neighbor. See, most of us are holding digital Bible and that's okay. No problem. Now, once you look around you, look around you, people who actually lift their hands up with the Bible. You see, as a church, we have a responsibility to make sure that the person seated on the end, they're holding the Bible, they're supposed to live in according to the Word of God. You see, the Bible says we are to provoke love and good works. We are to encourage each other. And that is only possible by the Word of God. You may put your hands down now. My Bible is the heaviest, I think. <laughs> so, think about this. As a church, we all have a mutual responsibility for one another's relationship with Jesus. We're not here just to have a good time. We're not just here to give offering. We're not just here to fellowship. We are here because we want to be accountable to one another. We're here on a Sunday morning instead of you can doing anything you want. But we are here because we want to encourage one another. We want to provoke love and good works of one another. And how can we do that? It is only through the Word of God because good advices will not get you far. Good tips will not get you far, but the good Word of God can get you far in life. And you need the Word of God. And as the body of Christ, all of us here, we have a responsibility to ensure that someone else that we see, they're actually living according to the Word of God. When we are aware of this responsibility, I believe the church will grow into a deep covenant community. We are here because of a covenant now. And we are committed to one another, to seeing each other bear fruit. You know, if we see someone who's been in church and they look like they've been having a hard time, we go and speak to them. And we speak truth with the Word of God. We encourage them. We journey with them, not just by being there for them, but actually by showing them the truth of God's Word and help them to live out that truth. That is how we grow as a church. First Thessalonians, this is Paul speaking to the church in Thessalonia. I'm going to read in verse 8. We are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You see, Paul understood what is it to do doing life together. But he said, not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely, remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship, we work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. 
you are witness and so is God of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, we accepted it not as human word but as it actually is, the word of God which is indeed in work, at work in you who believe. The word of God is supposed to encourage, comfort and urge us to actually live lives worthy of God. Paul understood this. The church in Thessalonica understood this. That's why they could grow. That's why the people there were hungry for God. Because when they listen to the word of God, it is not human words anymore. It's not words just written by Paul or some of the apostles or disciples or by Isaiah. It's actually word of God. And when we believe in this word, it will work in our lives. So next slide. Coming to church is really beyond just doing life and sharing life together but it's also ensuring that we are all growing in our godliness and holiness because we're ultimately a bride anticipating the return of our bridegroom, Jesus. You see, we are a bride and we're supposed to be without spot and blemish. Ephesians 5 says that. How are we going to be without spot and blemish if we are not actually doing our role to help one another to grow in godliness and holiness? If it's all about having fun, we can do it anywhere else. You can join an interest group you know, whether it's a photography group, uh, whether it is a band, you can have fun there. But coming to church is more than just fun. There's a deeper role that we have to realize and understand that we are to help each other to grow in godliness and holiness. That brings me to the second part of my sermon, which is this. Why should we be a good soul then? I showed you that the nature of a good soul, what makes a good soul? Here, accepting and bearing fruit. Now, why should we be a good soil? And if you're still doubting, should I be a good soil or should I just be rocky or to be a thorny ground? I have two proposals for you today. The first is this, because the Word of God is able to save our soul. The Word of God is able to save our soul. Why am I saying this? Let's look at the next slide. In James 1, verse 19 to 25, this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul, my soul. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It says here, God will bless you in your doing. What is this verse and this whole scripture talking about? How do we receive the word of God with meekness? How do we be doers of the word and not hearers only? And how will God bless us through that? You see, I think one thing about this is we have to agree with the truth of the Word of God. When we don't agree with the Word, sorry, back in James 1, when we don't agree with the Word of God, this is verse 23, for anyone if it's a hearer of the Word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He looks at himself, goes away, forgets what he was like. 
You see, the Word of God will always challenge us. Am I right? I'm sure you've read the Word of God before and it challenged you to give up something, to change your natural habit. All of us are sinful people. We have sinful desires. And the Word of God challenged us to actually forego that, not live in the flesh, live in the spirit. What are you talking about? It is so hard. But Bible says when we agree with the truth, then God can work something in us. Grace can work something in us and change us. You see, the Holy Spirit will not wash us away for something that we want to hold on to. Whatever you're holding on to in your life, if you read it in the Word of God, it challenges you to let go. You don't want to let go. God cannot change you. It has to start with you. And if we don't agree with the truth, then grace cannot change us. God cannot change us. No matter how many sermons you hear, no matter how many times you come to the altar call, if you don't agree with the Word of God, the truth, grace will not change you. So we need to agree with the truth of God's Word. And we need to change our perspective because when we do that, then we will see God will bless us in His doing. You see, as good souls, we respond to the Word of God as good souls. Then we'll be transformed. If we are just rocky and thorny, we just hear, we don't accept, that's when we are unfruitful. That's when we fall away. But if we respond to the Word of God as good soul, we hear, accept and bear fruit. That's when we'll be blessed and we can be a blessing to others. My second proposal to you is this. The Word of God sanctifies us so that we can be presented holy and without blemish to Jesus. The Word of God sanctifies us so that we can be presented holy and without blemish to Jesus. Let's look at the next slide. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Ephesians 5 is showing the relationship of Jesus himself as the bridegroom to the bride, which is us as the church. And it's also instruction to husband with their wives as well. And we can see this one thing, is that God's word can sanctify us. Am I right? It challenges us. And we need to constantly be sanctified. Paul, who wrote Ephesians 5, he wrote the entire Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, he said, God chose the church to be the, before the foundation of the world so that the church might be holy and blameless. And how do we do that? It is through sanctification. That's why Jesus in John 17, 17, and his high priestly prayer, he said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You see, we need to be sanctified in the word of God. Because when we're sanctified in the Word of God, we're sanctified in truth. And that is the thing that will change our lives. I you look at the next slide. Think about this. All of us here are believers. We understand that we are justified by Christ. Justification and sanctification. If you don't know these two words and you remember only this word from this today's sermon, it is good enough. All right? Look at this. We are all justified already as believers. But are we sanctified? We are justified when we receive salvation. By grace, through faith, we are justified. We are given a righteous position. But sanctification is an ongoing, lifelong process. To help you understand, I'm going to give you an analogy. Okay, there are two characters here I want you to think about. Firstly, there is a fish. Okay? A fish that lives in the sea. And there is a bird. A bird is flying above the sea. Think about this. All of us are fishes here. 
Okay? All of us are fishes. Before we become a Christian, before we become a believer, we are all fish. Okay? And when we receive justification, what happens is that we don't just become a better fish. You know, people always say, yeah, becoming a Christian is becoming a better person. Yeah, but you don't just merely become a better person. You are actually radically transformed. Your life is changed. Which is why people like can change his life entirely around from going against the church to actually preaching the gospel and dying for the sake of the gospel. There is a radical transformation. So justification really looks like when you are a fish, all of us are fish. When we receive salvation, we are justified. We don't just become a better fish, we become a bird. Our lives are so transformed that we become something else and people look at us like, why are you so different? You're no longer who you used to be. You used to be speaking a lot of vulgar words, you used to curse a lot, but right now you seem to be very patient. You know, you seem to be smoking last time, but now you look different. You used to cheat in exam, but now you're actually studying hard, diligently studying, and you want to do it on your own. Think about it. There is a radical transformation when you're justified. What about sanctification? Sanctification is as a bird. All of us are birds now. We are justified. When we are sanctified, we become better birds. You know, we grow to learn how to fly better. We learn how to catch fish better. You know, and it's an ongoing process. Sanctification is an ongoing process. Justification has been done for us. But sanctification is an ongoing process. We need to continue to be sanctified through the Word of God. It is just like having communion today. Right, today we had communion. You know there's a difference between union and communion. This is simple English, union and communion. You see, all of us here have union in Christ. We are united in Christ. Okay? But that does not mean we have communion with Christ. A communion is a relationship. Okay? I got married two months ago. I have a union with my wife now. It's a covenant. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I have a communion with her. There's a relationship with her unless I constantly pursue that communion. So when we come together for Holy Communion, it is really an, a significant act because we are saying to God again, God, we want to commune with you again. We want to be with you again. We already have union with you. We are justified with you, but we want to be sanctified by you again. We want to have communion with you again. So in Scripture, we see that mature Christ-likeness does not happen in a month. Okay, after you walk out from this place, this word that has just been preached might not change you immediately. Okay? It might not happen in a year, in a decade, like what I shared. We come, we listen to all the sermons in the past eight months. Do we actually remember them? I honestly don't even remember a lot of them, except for a few bits and pieces of it. But it's really a journey of a whole lifetime. To be sanctified is to really say you want to be sanctified throughout your life. Holiness has no 10-step plan. Okay, I can't come here and tell you you're supposed to be holy and grow in your godliness through this five step that I just shared about. But there's only one plan. The plan has 10 million steps. Only finish that plan the day when you die. There's no plan for us how many steps for you to grow in your holiness. There's only one plan with 10 million steps. And that steps require, require you to take it every single day. Constantly hearing the word, accepting the word, bearing fruit. There are so many parts throughout this month that we've been learning about the word of God. But today, this is just one small aspect of it. So as we close, my challenge to you is this. Are we going to be a good soul? Are we going to be a good soul? Think about this. The Bible that we hold in our hands right now 
It holds the account of events that have happened over the past thousands of years, Old Testament and New Testament combined. This same account has been passed on from one generation to another. The early church in Acts, they have the Word of God. The early church in Corinth, they have the Word of God. The church in Antioch, the church in Thessalonica, they have the Word of God. This Word has been passed on to the medieval generation throughout the different eras of our lifetime. And right now, it is here in our hands. We have the Word of God in our hands. See, nations rise and fall because of these words. Even our own country have certain regulation again against this, this Bible. Okay? Nations rage against one another because of the Word of God. People die for the sake of preaching the Word of God. We learn about the early apostles, but thousands of people died in the process of preaching the gospel. And today we are sitting here because of those people who have actually sacrificed. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but His word, God's word, my word, will never pass away and would remain. See, today as we are seated here, we hold this same Bible that has been helped by the people before us. It is the same inspired word of God. Nothing has been added. It has lasted through the test of time. And the authority of the Word of God is maybe more significant than we think it is to be. If you've been reading the Word of God and just think that these are merely words to you, maybe right now it's time to see, hey, these are the same words that have been passed on from generation to generation. These are God's holy words. So my encouragement to you is this. Be encouraged to hold firm to the Word of God. Because it's either we believe it with all our heart everything here is just a fiction. It's a lie. Do you really believe the Word of God? Do you have doubts about the Word of God? Do you still read the Word of God just as words or is that still a sense of awe and reverence? That is to hit your heart. The Word of God, I really trust everything that the Bible says. Sometimes if it doesn't make sense, but I choose to trust you because God, I believe in your authority. You see, we live in an age right now of deconstruction. There are a lot of worldviews around us. Recently, there is a very famous pastor, and I won't say his name, but you probably know him. He wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Some of you have probably read that book, and you grew up believing that book. And what happened to him after being a Bible-believing preacher and writer, wrote a book that impacted so many people. Right now, he is no longer a Christian. He publicly declared on Instagram saying that I'm no longer a Christian. I'm open. And right now he is, in fact, last week um, there is a parade for LGBT and he was there with them. Imagine this. Imagine me doing that. I'm the one here preaching, impacting lives and then one day I'm outside there with those people parading for them for their human rights. And it's very dangerous because we love we live in a world where there are so many views and our challenge as believers is to really distinguish what is of God and what is of man. We can only live in this world today through the Word of God. Whatever advice you read on thought catalog, on a relevant magazine, whatever website you love to read, see, those are good advice but those advice will never get you far. It's the Word of God. This is the Word of God that has lasted through the thousands of years so why can't you trust this book? Instead of people who might fail you, 
So before we be a good soil and to sow other, sow God's words into others, you know, we need to know the gospel before we can preach the gospel. Okay? We are not here just to share the gospel. We are here to preach the gospel. And to preach the gospel, you need to know the gospel. My encouragement to you is this, that when we go back this week, we actually learn the word of God. We study the word of God diligently. We'll be like David, who have a heart to actually meditate, to seek the word of God, to obey and to delight in the law of the Lord. Never stop studying the Bible. But there's something more important. Never stop pursuing Christ. If you read the Bible without seeing Christ in this, you're just reading a religious book with good instructions. And there are plenty of books out there you can read. There's Al-Kitab, sorry, there's the Al-Quran, you know, there's the Hindu books. There are many books you can read. But if you don't see Christ in all of this, then you miss the point of why the Word of God is for us. The greatest need of the people around us today is not how much we know, but it's also about our personal knowledge of Jesus. So when we go around, when we talk to our friends, when we live our lives as Christians, let us exemplify Christ. And we can only know Christ through the reading of His Word. And let us not miss out on the main thing itself, which is the sower. The sower is the one who sows the Word. We are merely just soils. Our role is to respond, to be the good soil. The sower sows the Word. We hear, we accept, and we bear fruit. If the sower, Christ, is separate from our reading and our understanding of the Word, then it's nothing. It's just like the Jewish people. They have the Torah. They can't see God. They can't see the Messiah. That is why they are just living a religious life, but they miss out on the bigger picture of the Messiah. So as it comes to an end, I want you to think about this. How are you allowing the Word of God to transform yourself to grow in holiness and godliness. Is the Word of God still challenging you today? Is it still shaping the core of your life? And then think about this. How are we edifying other people around us to grow in godliness and holiness? Are we just here to have a good time? Are we just here to sing some songs and fellowship? Or are we here with also a thought of responsibility to ensure that other people are growing in their godliness and holiness. We can only do this when we are a good soil ourselves. Before we can sow into other people's life, before we can go out to do missions, before we can preach the gospel to the sick, to our family members, we need to be a good soil ourselves. We need to know the word of God by ourselves. So as we invite the worship team to come up, let's just reflect on this and surrender our lives to God again to be a good soil. To hear the word, to accept the word, and to bear fruit.